Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a long-awaited another episode of the Fable F1 podcast. You've had a very busy summer. It's been difficult to record, Skev, but we're back. We're all uh, on one call, um, and we've got a lot to talk about. Um, today, it's mainly going to be off the track in terms of uh, silly season has begun. Um, we pretty much know what the grid is going to be for next year, apart from just one seat, uh, which we're going to discuss uh, in depth very, very shortly. So, obviously... Um, City season has started. I'm joined by Joshua Fletcher, Callum McAvoy and Callum Owen. As always, welcome along. Um, first of all, um, Joshua, we'll start with you. How have you been? How's your summer been? Um, I see you've got an Arsenal shirt on there, so it can't yeah. have been that good. No, it's uh, <laughs> footballing-wise, not great, obviously. Lost in the Euros final. Arsenal have started horrendously poorly um, in the league. Uh, but the F1's kept me entertained, um, mm-hmm. generally speaking. We've had the break, but... Um, on the whole, it's been it's been quite entertaining, not too bad. Good stuff. And uh, Callum M, for you, how was um, have you just been dreaming about Sergio Perez winning a Grand Prix? Um, you know, throughout the summer, what, what have you been up to? Yeah, no, uh, same as Josh. Really getting disappointed by England, uh, as we all were. Mm. Um, but uh, no, had a on the football terms obviously I'm a Palace fan had a great transfer window for a change I've been quite excited the last few weeks um, mm-hmm. but I've been okay uh, went to Silverstone uh, not for the F1 for the uh, Silverstone Classic that was great fun as well and uh, but yeah glad F1's back and uh, looking forward to this pod and how about you Callum we'll, st- we'll stick with the theme of have you been going to kind of any motorsport events or have you uh, have your football team whoever they are been, been doing anything over the uh, over the summer um, well, I went to the British Grand Prix, so that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously saw the bit that the now infamous Max and Lewis clash. Um, so no, I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan, so we started well, like well enough. But um, I don't really know. Summer's sort of it's just sort of gone by. It's September now, it's, mm, just sort of yeah. flown by. So you say you saw it? Were you sat <clears> at cops? Uh, no, I was sat at the end of Wellington Strait. So uh, right, I, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was. I've got a video on my phone that cuts as they get about halfway up cops. So I'm about five oh, seconds right. off having a reaction to it. <laughs> yeah, my um, my dad was sat very close to where you were by the sounds of it. Um, and he was he was annoyed with himself because he was looking at something that was going on at the back of the pack, you know, at, at that, is it Woodcut, I think, around there or, or something yeah. like that, Brooklyn yeah, Woodcut. Woodcut. Um, and he could see into cops, but he was obviously, I think he, he was probably looking at the Haas cars scrapping or something. <laughs> so he missed what was going on at the front too. He was a little bit disappointed with himself but enough about Silverstone we've got a lot to talk about um we've got um the, the Mercedes news the Alfa Romeo news uh we've also got a little bit of Williams news to talk about as well and obviously uh, me myself and Callum obviously we're at Silverstone we saw the sprint uh the sprint does return this weekend uh at Monza so we're going to be talking about you know what the four of us made from watching it at home and at the track of the sprint um and then we'll you know give you a little Monza preview as well but first of all let's talk about the big news um it's probably the worst kept secret in Formula One history that George Russell has signed for Mercedes. Um, I think the first thing we kind of knew was in press conferences, he was saying, I know where I'll be driving next year. And, you know, that was pretty much a giveaway. Um, Spa on the podium, I don't know if any of you noticed, um, but on his race suit, he, you know, put his hand onto the, the Mercedes badge rather than the, uh, the Williams one. That was a little bit of a giveaway. Um, we had a Sky Sports interview, didn't we, in Sandvoort where, uh, Christian Horner and somebody else interrupted. I think it was Ricardo uh, came and interrupted him and said, you know, congrats on the deal kind of thing. So it was the worst kept secret in F1, but Joshua very much deserved uh, for, for Mr. George Russell. Yeah, if you look at, especially his form in recent races, I think it's 
it's very fair. He's he's outperformed that Williams car on a number of occasions. Um, and he just got a bit stale for Bottas. I think he he didn't he didn't set the world alight with what a Mercedes driver in theory should with that car. So he did what did what Lewis wanted him to do. But um, yeah, I think I think we all knew for quite a while. A lot of the interviews were just giveaways, and I, I think it's, it was it was confirmed at the weekend where Bottas was given team orders not to not to complete his fastest lap, and he was going purple purple, and he he was told to ease off. So um, yeah, it's it was all getting a bit political, but good to see Russell in that seat next season. Hopefully, he can he can challenge for some more wins because it was robbed of him in um, Secure the other year when Hamilton was with, out with COVID. So. Yeah, I'm very pleased. And then Callum, turn to you with with Russell. Um, how long do you think he's going to accept his status as a number two driver at Mercedes? Because obviously he's got the move, um, but there's no doubt next year that surely Hamilton is still going to be the number one. And he's going to have to play second fiddle and, and learn off Hamilton. How, how long do you think Russell's going to accept that? Because he's obviously been impatient at Williams and has really, by the sounds of it, pushed for this move to happen. Um, so yeah, how, how long do you think he's going to going to last before? we see a potential Hamilton Rosberg 2.0. I mean, I'm sure he'll give it one or two years to obviously bed into the team, you know, learn the car, you know, get everything around him that he needs. Um, and hopefully, well, hopefully in his case, by then Hamilton may have retired. We don't know. He could go on for another four or five years if he wants to. But um, I could see Russell winning straight away. You know, remember uh, when Leclerc went to Ferrari and was instantly quicker than Vettel? even going further back when Ricardo first moved to Red Bull and was instantly quicker than Vettel again. So it's not unheard of for you know a young driver to come in and completely upset the odds. But uh, yeah, I reckon one or two years he'll need uh, to be ready. Hmm. And Joshua, you know, Callum kind of mentioned it there. It's um, We've seen before young drivers have come in and, and upset senior drivers. We saw with Leclerc at Ferrari, as Callum mentioned there, when when he came in and just, you know, took over, if you like, and forced Seb out. I know Seb had a lot of bad luck as well in that season. But now, this season, Seb's got his move away. He's refreshed. And, in, and you know, we've seen a, a much um, much happier Seb this year. How do you, do you think that could happen at Mercedes with Russell? Do you think he's the sort of person that will wind up an eight-time world champion who's, you know, done everything there is to do and is, you know, as people keep saying, statistically the greatest Formula One driver of all time? Do you think he's going to, you know, have it in him to be able to, to get into Lewis's head like that? I, I think that you also you have he's he'll go in there with the respect of Lewis Hamilton. He's sort of spoken a lot that how he's his sort of like hero, his idol. He's the best driver in F1 history, and whatever it is. And I think there's a lot of respect there with both of them being British. Well, I think that that helps. It's not like you've got clashing personalities and sort of nation rivalries. I think there's the British aspect of it helps, but I don't think I don't think he's going to go in like agreeing to be Lewis's number two. Like we've said, he'll want to challenge for race wins. He'll want to challenge for the championship. Um, I think there'll be times where he'll he'll have to ease off if Lewis is off in the distance in the championship and just sort of go for the constructors' points. But I think early stage, he definitely won't settle for settle for what Bottas seemingly has. He'll he'll be all out to go and get some wins. I think because that's just the driver he is. You've seen you've seen how far he pushes that Williams car. Yeah, and uh, Callum, to, to you, Callum has dropped out, so hopefully he, uh, he returns at some point. Um, Callum, back to you. Do you think that at, at Mercedes, we're going to see a lot of now Mercedes fans rather than George Russell and Lewis Hamilton fans? Do you think people are going to support them both together as a team? 
Um, or do you think people are going to, you know, I, I want Hamilton to win or I want Russell to win? Or what, what are you going to do? And, and how do you think other fans are going to react to this move come, come next year? Well, there's always like, there's always like you take different sides to a team. Like uh, I'm sure uh, there were McLaren fans when Hamilton and Button were together, but there's obviously people who you know, favour Button more than Hamilton or vice versa. Uh, I was certainly one of those people. I'm a Jensen Button fanboy, so you know that's that's just my <laughs> personal taste. Um, I'm going to support them both. Obviously, it'll be very interesting to see if we end up with a Rosberg Hamilton situation again. I think there will be personally, but um, I'm looking forward to see seeing both. And they're at very different stages of their career as well. So I think we can support both. And then obviously, when Hamilton does eventually retire uh, in the next few years, um, we can all be Russell fans full-time, hopefully. And Joshua, I probably should have put this question to you as well, because you, you are a Hamilton fan. We've made no secret of that. So what are you going to do? Um, I think, I think I've think i said, I said before, although I, I, I am a Hamilton fan, I prefer him to a lot of the drivers on the grid. First and foremost, we're racing fans, aren't we? All of us. Um, and I think having two British drivers, two brilliant British drivers in the top team of the last decade can only be a good thing. Um, and he feels like the natural replacement to Hamilton. He sort of feels in that sort of mould of determined that he wants to break records, he wants to win championships, win races and exceed expectations. And I think it could be really exciting. You give him two years, if Hamilton doesn't sign a new deal, we don't know that yet. He has two years learning from the best, then takes a team like in his own grip, and then he drives that team forward onto another potentially five, seven world titles. So... I think it's really exciting and I think now a lot of British fans will support Mercedes even if they don't like Hamilton they like they'll like Russell um and I think that could bring a lot more British fans into into a Mercedes team that sort of mm. if they don't really like Hamilton which we're sort of seeing a lot more of recently I feel there's been a lot of like distaste towards Hamilton so I think this could sort of appease appease that I certainly noticed that at Silverstone when I, when I went because, you know, it used to be, you know, 100% Hamilton, but there was Lando, Max fans, you know, there was everybody, you know, you could you could go to every single grandstand and you'd probably see 20 fans that supported, you know, every single driver on the grid or, or had a different team colour on. So that that was definitely noticeable at Silverstone. Um, the other thing is, is this is a big moment for, for British sport in general. We've obviously got Lando, you, you can't forget, he's going to be a future race winner and, and has the potential to be a world champion if he ever gets a move to, to a top team or if McLaren, you know, make it to, to the front of the grid and challenge Red Bull and Mercedes, which you never know could happen next year. Um, Callum, I, I wanted to get to you, your, your view on this because there doesn't seem to be much coverage from it, you know, outside of kind of the Formula One community. There doesn't seem to be, you know, this global breaking news. Whereas, you know, England, you know, for example, the football team, everybody was talking about them in, in the in the semi. I know football is the national sport, but why do you think Formula One doesn't get that kind of coverage, especially when two British drivers have signed for the best team in the world? I, I don't, it's something I kind of struggle to understand. I think there is a little bit. I think that I think one of the reasons is we're so used to seeing Hamilton winning every year. It's not so it's not special when he does to like non F one fans. Like I remember obviously when he won his seventh ball title, there was a lot of oh yay, well done again, you know, whatever. You know, it's same old, same old kind of thing. Um, I thought there was a lot of like positive coverage around Russell. Maybe I'm just in an F one blender and just don't look elsewhere. But like 
I remember it being like the main headline on BBC Sport was George Russell signs from Mercedes. I got maybe it was a slow news day. Um, but I think the reason it doesn't it doesn't have the same impact as football is that F1 and motorsports as a general doesn't really connect with a lot of people. Like I think it's it's something that you're either very into or you're not. Um, and that's for various reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame. But I think maybe, you know, next year, if those two are going for the title, then I think absolutely it's going to be the main headline. Um, mm. In a year that's going to be dominated by football again with the World Cup and such. Um, if it's mm. able to sort of reach that level, I think that'd be incredible. Mm. I think, well, I think the question still is still valid in terms of it's it's not, you know, I was probably a bit harsh saying there isn't much coverage of it at all, because there, there was quite a bit. And I know people in my kind of, uh, you know, previous school year that were kind of very much into F1 who, you know, a few years ago, I would never have expected them to watch F1. So it's obviously, there's obviously something that's happening that's working to get these fans in, obviously... There's the sprint as well, which is which is another way of doing it. But I still think, like you, like you mentioned there, it's not quite on this global um, scale where you know a lot of people love it. And, and you said you know there's reasons for that. Um, let's talk about uh, Hamilton's teammate Valtteri Bottas, who has been confirmed uh, as the one of the Alfa Romeo drivers next year. We're not sure who the other one's going to be yet. We're going to chat about that in just a moment. Um, but Joshua Valtteri Bottas, you, you mentioned him a little bit earlier on. Um, he's obviously now made the, you'd probably have to say, step down to Alfa Romeo. Um, do you think that's just so he can have a seat in F1 because there's nowhere really else available for him? Yeah, it's it's a strange one, isn't it, really? Because you've sort of seen, he sort of came up through Williams, got the drive from Mercedes, that seat was open. It sort of felt quite poetic for him to go there. Um I don't really get the alpha move. I know Kimi's gone. It's it's a chance for him to be a number one driver, an experienced driver in a in a team, but it's it just feels weird. I I mean, if I'm not really the biggest Bottas fan, I'm quite neutral on him. I don't mind him either way. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm. So it's I mean, it's an experienced driver. Keeps his seat in F1. I'm sure a lot of people were will be pleased to see that he, he gets to take a team and lead a team where he's been behind Hamilton and sort of that support act for so long. Um, but I can't see it being a, a long-term thing, two seasons maybe, and then they'll then they'll sort of look to F2 and promote, promote some of their junior drivers or, I don't know, bring up Schumacher and give him a couple of years and then bring him on to Ferrari, sort of get that pathway. But um, he keeps his seat. He's sort of, I don't know whether he'll be challenging for wins, but just a chance to drive really, isn't it? There's nothing spectacular about it. And we've seen Bottas Callum as a number two at Mercedes for a very long time. He was obviously the, the number one kind of when he was at Williams, um, although I wasn't really watching F1 much back then, so I don't really know much about that about, about that time. Um, but he's obviously, whoever it looks like that comes in at Alfa Romeo, now that Raikkonen has retired, and we'll talk about him in just a moment, um, now that Raikkonen's gone, whoever is in that second seat, even if it's Giovinazzi or whoever, you know, whoever it is, He's probably going to be younger than him, and Bottas is probably going to be that number one driver. How do you, how do you think he's going to cope with that? I think he'll be fine. I think that you know Bottas has the experience, and I think it's a very good move on Alfa Romeo's part uh, to get him in. Um, you know, this is the same reason why they signed Raikkonen a few years ago. Um, you know, everyone said, "Oh, they should go for a young driver," but actually having someone of good experience who you know is you know Bottas isn't a great driver, but he's a good driver. He's a race winner. Um, he'll get them points if they've got a decent enough car. 
Uh, and of course, he can help on the technical side as well. So I think it's a great move uh, from Alpha's point of view. And I think Bottas is, is ready to be a team leader. I think he was expected to do that job um, when he was at Williams. And then he, obviously, Rosberg suddenly retired and then he ended up moving to Mercedes. But uh, yeah, no, I think he'd be perfectly fine in that role. Hmm. And let's talk about the man who, who he's replacing, essentially, Kimi Raikkonen, who's, who's moved on. Um, I think Callum, uh, um, sorry, Joshua, we, we could have seen this coming from the start of the season. You know, we've seen a few silly mistakes from Raikkonen this season, um, some which, you know, haven't really been his fault, but a few, you know, not most of them have been. Um, I, I just don't think it was any surprise that this was always going to be Kimmy's last year, wasn't it, Joshua? Yeah, it sort of felt like that. He's, and he's not, you've not really got that sort of motivation or sort of feeling from him that he's, not that he's not bothered, because I think you, you'll always be bothered when you're representing a team in a sport and you're, you're doing what you love. But it did feel like a natural end to it. He's been in it for so long. He's, he's done so well for so long. He's won, he's won titles, he's won races. It's, he's had a great career in the grand scheme of things, not to the numbers that we've seen of, of Hamilton and Vettel and some of the great drivers of this generation. He might have crossed over a couple. But yeah, I mean, it, it did feel like it came to an end and he can finish this season now, he can enjoy it and then move on to other things. But yeah, it, it made sense. Yeah, and I think you mentioned it there. I think his personality is the main reason that he's, that he's going to be remembered in Formula One. You know, it's he hasn't got hundreds of race wins and hundreds of poles. And, you know, he's got a world championship behind him, nevertheless, which is not something every driver that comes into F1 does. Um, but I think his, his iconic kind of personality or, or say miserable, well, not even miserable, because he, he is quite funny sometimes, but is you know, very laid back, down to earth, quiet personality has, has always been something that, that people will remember him for. And, uh, I want to talk to. We'll talk about memories of him. I think the uh, the two that stand out for me is his team radio call when he's in Baku, I think, with Ferrari, um, and he's you know someone passed me my steering wheel, gloves, gloves, give them to me, give them to me. I think that that was quite a funny moment where he was just bellowing down the radio. And then another one for me was in person when I was at Silverstone in 2019. Uh, he was taking uh, every driver that came out the paddock uh, was taking pictures um, with the fans. And uh, I said, oh, Kimmy, can I have a picture? And like held my phone up to him. And he was like, oh, no photos, no photos. And just walked on and, started, and carried on like signing autographs. I was like, oh, yeah, cheers, Kimmy. Um, so they're the two kind of main memories that stick out for me. Um, Callum, any, any Kimmy Raikkonen memories for you? Uh, there's two that really stand out. The one is the one that everyone knows when he returned to F1 in 2012 uh, with Lotus and he won the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And there's that very famous team radio message where um, he goes, oh, leave me, alone. leave me alone, I know what I'm doing, uh, in response to his engineer trying to bark orders at him. Uh, that was priceless. Um, the other one I love was from my very first season watching F1 was 2009. And you had the Malaysian Grand Prix, which uh, was famously called off early because it rained so much. Um, and during one of the red flag periods, um, he just walked back to the garage, got out of his overalls uh, and grabbed himself a Magnum from the, um, <laughs> from the freezer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just, just, yeah, just casually started eating it. Um, all the other drivers are like trying to stay healthy, having some like bananas or fruit or whatever it is. And he's just like, nah, I'm going to have a Magnum. I'm, I'm warm, you know? So. <laughs> and uh, Joshua, anything that sticks out for you as well? Uh, there's a couple. Um, sort of in terms of racing, when he sort of, uh, obviously the Monaco Grand Prix incident, when he sort of, 
had to retire and didn't go back to the garage and just went and sat on his yacht and watched the race from there. <laughs> quite, quite an entertaining sort of very Kimi Raikkonen moment. But I just think sort of, I'm going to get hate for this, but the drive to survive stuff, he went to assist those interviews. Everyone else is quite friendly and uh, bubbly and he's very blunt and he's just very to the point and says how it is. And I think that's quite refreshing that he's not playing up for the cameras. He's just being himself. Where I think a couple of people, uh, like uh, younger drivers now are a bit more aware of their brand. He just doesn't care. I think that's quite entertaining to watch. Yeah, he, he spoke to Sky Sports, didn't he, before he, before he tested positive. And uh, obviously we're hearing that he's not particularly, you know, ill. It's just mild symptoms, but we, we obviously wish him well. But before that happened, before that test that happened, he spoke to Natalie Pinkham on Sky. And uh, she was like, oh, you can be a pundit on Sky next year. He just went, no. <laughs> I don't think you'll see him as a pundit. And, and, he, and she was a bit like, oh, come on, Kimmy, you know, trying to kind of make a joke out of it. And he was just like, absolutely not. Um, the, the other team radio I remember is um, the, the the penalty one, where like, uh, his, team, his engineer goes, Massa has a drive-through penalty. And he goes, why do we have a penalty? And then the team radio is like, Massa, Massa. And he goes, oh, okay. And then just kind of carries on. And there was, there was one in Mugello last year, um, I can't remember what it was. He said, I think, he, I think he got a penalty. And again, he just screamed down the radio. I don't know if you can remember what that was. Obviously not. So he just, he, 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 something happened on the radio and, and I just remember him screaming down the radio in, in Kimmy fashion. But that, um, yeah, some, some good memories there. I'm glad, I'm glad we all have uh, different ones as well that we can remember Kimmy by. Um, the question is, though, who's going to replace him? Um, we know that the Haas drivers haven't been confirmed next year. Um, let's talk about him, Nikita Mazepin. Uh, last night, as we we're recording this, posted on his Instagram story, um, hashtag uh, NM, and I think it was like some kind of initials, and then 99, it was like MZ99 or something like that. Um, Joshua, surely Nikita Mazepin won't be teammates of Valtteri Bottas next season. Surely Haas can't afford to let him go. It's a, it's a really interesting one because if you look at it in the sort of just on paper, knowing about F1, it sort of feels like he's he wants the number 99 car, which then is a domino effect of Giovinazzi presumably leaving the sport as reported over the last few days, which is strange. But then it's, I think there's a rule that you can't change your car number or you can't inherit a new one. Like it has to be like a two-year period where it's vacant or something. There's a lot of different things um, to do it. And again, it's it doesn't make sense him leaving Haas where his dad owns or sponsors the team. There's a lot of different factors to it that don't really add up. And I don't know whether we'll understand. But if we get news in the next few days that Joe Fanazzi has been dropped, then it might then he might get an exception to get the 99 car and then we'll see someone get the alpha seat. I don't know. Or it's just Mazepin being Mazepin and try to, trying to stir up some drama or something's going on that no one else is privy to. I don't really know. But it is a bit strange. And I think we'll find out in the next few days whether it's an F1 thing or a or a personal thing. Because he tagged, didn't he tag Kim Kardashian in his Instagram post the other day? I think I saw a screenshot of that. He was using a, a sleep app and he was really proud that he got eight hours sleep or something and tagged Kim Kardashian. So, so I don't know. Hey, what the hell? <laughs> he's, he's a character, isn't he? So yeah. I don't know whether it, whether it's like a, 
whether it's a character thing or whether it's a F1 related thing, I'm not too sure. Mm, very strange, very strange. Um, let's talk about Giovinazzi then, because he's a really weird one because nobody seems to ever talk about him. Um, there's always kind of we'll talk about you know drivers like Lance Stroll at, at some point in the season, or we'll talk about I don't know. Daniel Ricciardo, or just you know these these kind of drivers that are in you know the, the mid range team, Sonoda we've talked about a little bit, Gasly gets talked about, but the you know the two Haas drivers get talked about a little bit as well. But we never, I don't think even on this podcast, we've ever had a conversation about Antonio Giovinazzi since you know the predictions episode. I just wanted to see what your take on him was, Callum. Do, do, is there anything he's he's done to deserve the seat at Alfa Romeo next year? I mean, he qualified well. Um, in, in Zandvoort, but that's kind of all he's really done in, in the, the few years that he's been there. I mean, as you alluded to, he's the most forgettable driver on the grid. Uh, I'm mm. sure he's a lovely guy, um, but I think just because he's, he's in at the At least car he took a fight with me at Silverstone. Oh, that's nice, at least. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> mm. But, um, I mean, he's in a car where he can't really do uh, an awful lot. Um, so... And it's a difficult one. I think now that they've got Bottas in to bring that experience, he's kind of less needed. Um, mm. I think he's a decent driver, but again, he's nothing special. You know, he's not on anywhere near the level of a Norris or a Russell. Um, he doesn't. He hasn't really shown. You know, we, we we've seen like what like drivers like Latifi can do in like Hungary earlier this season when given that kind of odd opportunity to sort of move up the grid. But he's never really shown any anything like that. Uh, that I can recall. Uh, I wouldn't be upset if he got the drive uh, at all, but um, no, it's not looking particularly promising at the moment for him. I'm pretty sure at the start of that season, I predicted him to get a podium. So I'm still waiting for that to happen as well. <laughs> and maybe Monza this weekend, you know, who knows? Anyway, we'll talk about that at the end. Um, so yeah, uh, Joshua, who who do you think will fill that alpha seat? Then do you think it's going to be uh, somebody like Mick Schumacher could get pro, you know in you know kind of speech marks promoted, um, or do you, or do you think one of the younger guys could be brought in? Callum Eilat is a name that's being branded around a lot, or do you think they'll just go, yeah, Jovanazzi and Bottas, they'll get on all right. We'll just stick them in. And I'd be very surprised if they if they went for a whole new driver lineup. Um, just because we sort of we've seen how it hasn't really worked for Haas. I know it's different circumstances. It was two inexperienced drivers, but with the new regs, you sort of want an experienced sort of setup there. And with Bottas coming into the team, some stability keeping Joe Fanazzi could make sense. See how he does next season, and then decide. Um, Mick Schumacher makes sense, doesn't it? With the Alpha Ferrari links, you sort of you sort of feel that if he doesn't get the Ferrari seat straight away after Haas. That's sort of the way and follow like the, the Charles Leclerc model. Um, I lot, I think everyone sort of wants to see in F1 um, and sort of seems quite fitting, um, but we can never predict it. It'd probably be someone completely different, completely random that no one's thought about or no one wants really in F1. It would be a, be a sponsorship thing. Um, I'd like to see Schumacher up there just because I think Obviously, it's we know the situation with him and Mazepin that's getting quite toxic. Haas aren't really performing. No one really expected them up the grid, but I, I, I can't call it. I really can't. I think Giovinazzi stays would be my instinct. Mm. Yeah, well, I think it, it'll probably keep the peace, if anything, at, at Alfa Romeo, him and Bottas, you know, have a good season 
Giovinazzi can still learn from Bottas as well because Bottas has been at the top, been at the top just as Raikkonen had been as well. Um, so it, it allows Giovinazzi to develop a bit more. Again, I don't think any of us, it's, it's no disrespect or, or you know, we don't dislike Antonio Giovinazzi. None of us just really have an opinion on him, good or bad, to be honest. So, he's uh, quite a mad yeah. driver, isn't he? He's just yeah. like, he's Absolutely. no one's favourite, no yeah. one hates him. He's just, he's just there. Mm. Yeah. In, in, in 10 years, we'll all have forgotten who he is. Yeah, he'll be one of those yeah. drivers. You'll be like, oh, he drove an F1. Oh, got like, oh, right. It'll be a pub quiz question. Who was Kimi Raikkonen's teammates when he retired? Oh, yeah, yeah Antonio Giovinazzi. Yeah, yeah great. <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, our Antonio Giovinazzi chat done for the season. Um, let's move on to Williams. This is the weirdest one to me. Um, you know, you could say the Bottas to Alpine is a bit weird. But uh, just before we hit record, um, it was confirmed that Alex Albon will be driving alongside Nicholas Latifi at Williams. Obviously, George Russell leaving to Mercedes, as we've talked about already. Um I just I, I find this really weird, um, considering that Albon was dropped by Red Bull, um, and now he's going to a kind of Mercedes associated team, you could say. Um, what, what do you make of this move, Callum? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for Albon. I've always been a fan of him. Uh, I thought he was very cruelly dumped by Red Bull, um, obviously at the end of last season. Uh, but no, I'm happy for him. I think it's a good move for Williams. It's another great driver uh, to have there because uh, obviously George Ru- losing George Russell is going to be a big loss for them. But Albon's got the talent. We saw it in, in his brief spell uh, at Alpha, uh, Alpha Tauri uh, and then obviously a little bit of Red Bull at times. So I think it's a good move for him. It is obviously very weird to see a Red Bull-affiliated driver going to a Mercedes-affiliated team. But this wouldn't be the first time we've had something like that. Um, you know, Esteban Ocon is technically a Mercedes-affiliated driver, and yet he's at uh, Alpine. So, uh, mm. yeah, bit of a you know, stranger things have happened in F1. But uh, no, I think it's a, a good move all round for all parties involved. Mm. I think for me, Joshua, it was the weird thing about it is it was very hard to actually, if it wasn't Albon, who would actually be there? Because I, I, you know, the only person I can think of is. Uh, Nick DeVries, who is a Mercedes um, associated driver, has just won the Formula E championship, and it was reported that they're kind of quite keen to get um, get him into F1, and you know, putting him in that Williams seat would have made sense. Um, was there anybody else you could have seen in that seat, or, or was it for you straight away? Yeah, get Albon in there. Albon was the one that made sense. Again, I I think he was very badly treated by Horner and uh, Helmut Marco. Um, I think he was also given that seat too early. I think his first season in F1 was sort of promoted halfway through the season and then was never really believed in. And again, didn't hit the hype of hype of drivers before him. Same treatment as Gazdi, same treatment as various others. Um, and then to be dropped in the way he was. Um, and then obviously Red Bull going against their model of junior drivers and getting in Perez. There was a lot of just stuff that I wasn't particularly a massive fan of. So I think it's great to see him back in, in F1 and Williams made sense. Uh, it was really a, the only seat that he could have gone to with um, uh, with with no seats available. The Red Bull tr- programme, there was no free seats. All four were taken up. And Will- Williams made sense. So I'm, I'm pleased with him. Nick DeVry, obviously, I think he'll... I think he'll be there soon or soon enough, depending on how Latifi performs next year. Um, but I think it was the it was the thing that made sense. Everyone wanted to see him back. 
Um, I think Horner's interview is quite funny. Where he was like, he deserves a seat, and it was like, but just clearly doesn't deserve a seat for your team. It's quite, quite, quite ironic that he's calling out yeah. to Wolf for blocking his move, but he he treated him quite badly and dropped him for for no valid reason. But good to see him back in the sport. I think I think fans would be happy to see him back, and hopefully Williams have a good car for next season. Mercedes powers engine. It, it sort of seems fitting with the experienced and I think Albon's still a quality driver. So mm. yeah, a good move. Cool. And um, just very quickly, moving on from uh, one kind of Red Bull association to another, uh, Alpha Tauri have announced that Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda have re-signed their contracts. I think Pierre Gasly, we don't really need to discuss, deserves to be there, deserves that contract, probably deserves to be a slightly better team than Alpha Tauri. Um, but Tsunoda is the one that's kind of surprised us a little bit. Um, you know, he's come up from F2, hasn't um, set the world on set the world alight. Is that the, is that the phrase? Um, you know, he's had a couple of spins, a couple of qualifying crashes, few retirements, hasn't done anything particularly appealing. Um, and we just, you know, uh, Callum, the, the way Red Bull usually treat their drivers, a little bit of a surprise to see that he'd been re-signed. Uh, a little bit, but um, at the same time, like, I don't think Christian Horner and Helmut Marco paid much attention to the Alpha Tauri guys until they actually need a, a space to fill at uh, Red Bull. Um, if you understand, like if like if they needed to find a new partner for Max uh, this season, then I think they would have paid a bit more attention to uh, Sonoda. But you know, he's he's only a rookie; he's only young. You know, give him another season. Let's see what he's about. Uh, you know, but I remember Danny. You know, Danny Kvyat was you know a bit of a hothead when he started off, and he got into the Red Bull uh, seat for a bit as well. So, you know, I think it's okay. He, he's not done terribly. You know, it's not like mm. he's crashed at every single uh, race so far this season. Um, but uh, no, I think he's done okay. You know, to have another season. Yeah, I think, or, or maybe we're probably only saying that because he started the season so well in Bahrain that maybe mm. that's kind of, we then expected that to kind of carry on throughout the season. It hasn't really. Um, but yeah, he'll, he'll, like you say, his, his moments will come and he'll develop more and more of his drive and, and hopefully you actually get given an opportunity uh, with Red Bull. Cool, let's move on then. That's all the silly season summer stuff done. Um, there's obviously plenty of racing that we could have talked about uh, today, but we just thought because this is in the news now, it's relevant, let, let's talk about it. Why not? Um, we've obviously had, you know, Silverstone since. We've had Hungary where Ocon got that win. You know, we didn't talk, we haven't had a chance to talk about that. Uh, the lack of race at Spa as well. And then obviously Sandport just at the weekend, which was uh, an unbelievable spectacle. Uh, but to another unbelievable spectacle that we're expecting to see this weekend, it is Monza. Um, and we get the return of the sprint. Now, if the two of you can cast your minds back to middle of July-ish when we were at Silverstone and we saw the sprint for the first time, uh, the way it works, let me just remind you, we have FP1 in the afternoon on a Friday. We then have qualifying in the evening. Uh, then we have FP2 on Saturday morning. Then we have a sprint qualifying. And then we have the race on Sunday. Whether it's going to be the afternoon, evening thing in Monza, I'm not too sure. I haven't looked at the schedule. Um, but let's talk about it. First of all, a Friday night qualifying session. Um, from my perspective, you know, being at Silverstone, it was absolutely brilliant. We sat on the new, um, I sat in the new um, grandstand at Chapel. Um, so it was fantastic to see the cars coming through Beckett's towards me um, at full tilt. An F1 car through Beckett's is, is just something unbelievable. I think I, I put a video of that on Twitter. Um, 
so yeah, for me, Friday night qualifying was absolutely brilliant as a fan. You know, everybody's having a few drinks and all that kind of stuff. So it's a fantastic atmosphere. Um, Joshua, how did you find uh, Friday night qualifying at, at home after just one FP1 session as well? It was really enjoyable to watch. I, I think it was a change. And I, I know there are people that weren't fans, but but to do have something of like a big event on a Friday night, have a big event on a Saturday, and then have the main event on the Sunday was really enjoyable because obviously I think sometimes F1 fans, we complain that there's not like enough exciting stuff. Like Friday practice is a bit dull and then qualifying sometimes it's just the same old, same old. Um, and then you get the big thing on the Sunday. But th this format is brilliant because you, you have something big to watch. You have a race on Saturday, you have a race on Sunday and it's important to get grid position on the Friday night. Uh, everything's important. So I think it's really refreshing um, I think it's good for the sport and it's just fun to watch isn't it we get another race we get half a race to watch like who can complain that you get another race mm. so yeah it's really enjoyable and it's just a bit of fun isn't it really I don't it's just fun yeah uh, Callum the thing, the thing I wanted to ask you about and, and the chat in the grandstands at Silverstone on, on Saturday morning was the FP2 session everybody was going well I don't really know why we're here because the cars are in park fermes, so there's nothing that they can really do apart from maybe a few race runs, high fuel runs and whatever. And the lap times between FP2 and qualifying were like five seconds slower. So we were kind of like, well, what is the point of FP2? Did you did you kind of think that at home, you know, switching on to, to watch it? Were you kind of like, I don't really know why this session's happening? Uh, not really, to be honest. Like, I, I, you need to have, I think, two practice sessions. But, um, you know, I think it's... I'm kind of with Josh that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of the sprint race, but I'll take a, another another race over another practice session. Uh, mm. So, no, I didn't find it too strange because, you know, I, to be honest, I barely watch practice. Uh, I know that's bad. I know I should be, I know I should be a dedicated F1 fan. Yeah, <laughs> you should watch every session, session of every weekend. <laughs> exactly. But, um, no, I, I mean, I thought, again, I thought it was a bit of fun. Um, yeah, it is weird with the whole park Fermi rules, and that's something that needs to be worked on, I think. But uh, yeah, overall, I, I'm not, I'm still on the fence about it. Yeah. Mm. Do you want to kind of tell us what, what you made of the race? Then you said you weren't a, a massive fan of it. Obviously, you know, it's no secret that we didn't get the most entertaining sprint race in the world. Um, what, what was it that you kind of didn't like about it or wasn't it, a kind of a fan of? I think, I mean, it, it, as you said, it wasn't the most entertaining of, uh, of, of sprint races as, as it could have been. But I just feel that it kind of undermines qualifying. Like, you know, George Russell did so well on Friday uh, evening to qualify. I think it was P9. But he actually had yeah. to start the proper race in like P14 or something because he dropped down and I think got a grid place penalty as well for something. Um, and the same with Sergio Perez, you know, qualified, I think, in the top 10 and then obviously crashed out in the sprint race and had to start at the back of the grid. So I feel like kind of, it's, it's kind of undermines that. And um, I think there's a real, there is a real thrill to qualifying like proper, uh, especially yeah. at a track like Monza. I mean, I'm sure we all remember a couple of years ago and there's a whole farce that <laughs> no one set a lap time in Q3. And that was hilarious to watch. Um, I know obviously they, they've changed things so that can't happen again, but um yeah, I, I feel qualifying is kind of sacred and I think it's actually quite good the way it is at the moment. But, um, you know, as Josh, as Josh said, you know, 
I'll take another race over P3, for example. I keep going back to being at the track, and I don't know if you guys were watching it all at home, but for me at the track, it was a full day of racing. You know, we had one um, F1 practice session. We had two F2 races either side of the sprint. We had a W Series race as well, and there was another... Um, I can't, I can't remember what race it was, but there was another race on track that was, it was really boring. But anyway, there was, you know, five races during the day, which is, is brilliant to see when you're actually at the track. And obviously at home, I'm sure there's probably a way to access all five of them, uh, whether that's Sky Sports, I think W Series is on Channel 4 as well. Um, so that was also, you know, an, another positive of it. Um, Joshua, your thoughts on the, on the sprint concept itself? Do you, do you think it undermines qualifying, like Callum said, and maybe instead of, you know, Perez crashing out and starting last, he maybe could have been deducted five places for crashing out rather than, you know, being sent right to the back. What what did you make of the whole concept of it? I think the interesting thing is calling it sprint qualifying. I think that's the problem with it. If you called it a sprint race and you let qualifying determine the outcome of one, like the, the fault, like, do you know what I mean? Because I think mm. people call it a sprint race. And if, if that didn't almost determine the Sunday's race, and yeah, qualifying just determines the grid for both. And then you had half rep or something. There's there's ways around fixing it. I think calling it sprint qualifying, again, does take the, the joy out of qualifying because then the main the main race is the big spectacle. That's what everyone yeah. wants to see. So taking to like like we said, George Russell, if we had sprint racing at Spa, if it went ahead, would have got P2 for the sprint qualifying probably would have dropped down a few places and then wouldn't have been in the same position to challenge. So I think almost rejig it in a way. I don't, I don't know how you could do it to make qualifying generally on Saturday mean more, more for the main race, but there, there must be a way, but I like it. It as a concept, it's fine. I think it needs some work, um, but we get, we get more racing. And I think, mm. as I said, that's what we all want to see. So I think it's here to stay maybe not in this form yeah and i think there's no doubt that this is the finished article you know i think it's gonna it'll be rejigged the teams will talk about it at the end of the season i'm sure and we'll get together and, and discuss they'll get the drivers feedback on it as well the other interesting thing I, i've just kind of thought of is you know the drivers were either saying we've had a rubbish qualifying we now need to you know go make some overtakes in this race or drivers saying you know, like George Russell, we've had a fantastic qualifying. I'm going to do everything to defend my position, which could make the racing a little bit more entertaining, obviously. Um, the other thing I, I, you know, wasn't used to was seeing an F1 race that short. You know, it was only 18 laps or whatever of Silverstone, which took about 45 minutes. Was it something like that? It may have been even less than that. It may have been like 35. But seeing an F1 race that short was also a little bit like, it started, oh, this is really exciting. Oh, right, it's going now, it's over. Um, was a little bit weird. Um the other way, I think that they're, they're trying to to not, it is sprint qualifying, but the branding all around the track said F1 sprint, F1 sprint, F1 sprints. They're trying, I think, as well to get away from, although it is qualifying, trying to kind of get away from that kind of rather just, just having F1 sprint as like the, the branding of it. So that's certainly, certainly an interesting concept. So because we've got uh, F1 sprints to look forward to this weekend again, so it's going to be practice one, qualifying, then practice two, then the sprint race, and then uh, the main race on Sunday. Uh, let's have our predictions. We're going to go first of all to Callum, um, who is going to be on pole in qualifying on Friday. So the Friday session, who's going to be fastest? It's not even on pole, it's who's fastest, isn't it? 
Uh, true, that is very true. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't remember who's quickest at Monza tradition because obviously it's such a unique circuit, uh, but I've gone boring with Max Verstappen to take pole. Uh, Lewis Hamilton second, and because it's uh, at Monza, I've gone Charles Leclerc will get P3 in the Ooh, very nice initial qualifying, let's call it, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my initial qualifying, I've gone uh, Max, Lewis, and then Bottas, so it's it's uh, very boring for me. So Joshua, have you got anything a bit more exciting than that? Uh, I've gone Hamilton to win, Versta- uh, not win, Hamilton P1 qualifying, then Verstappen, uh, and then Norris. Norris, I like it. I could, that could be interesting to see McLaren performing well at Monza. So sprint qualifying then, who is going to be on pole is, is what I should say. Just give us your top three from uh, from sprint qualifying. I've gone with, um, I've got Max first, uh, then I have gone Hamilton second, and then I have put, um, I put Bottas third again. So I've said that nothing will happen, which is really, really boring of me. Um, I do apologise for that. Uh, Callum, um, Again, give me something more exciting than what I've just done. Uh, I'm afraid I can't. I also have the Staff and Hounds and Bottas uh, for the uh, for the sprint race. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Bottas will uh, will get past Leclerc. Uh, so yeah, Joshua, any any more inspiration than than those two? Well, I've not gone for the same thing as my quality. I've gone Hamilton, Verstappen, Leclerc. Let's just change it up. Why not? Let's have a bit of fun. <laughs> And then for Sunday's actual Grand Prix, I've actually, you know, I've changed it this time. Uh, I've gone for Max Hamilton. Then I've gone for Leclerc. I think just that whole Leclerc on the podium with uh, all the Ferrari fans on the track at the end will, will be something quite special. So I think I think it's got to happen for Ferrari, hasn't it, at, at some point? So why not in Monza? Um, and I'll, I'll add my wild card into that. It's just my wild card prediction is that Ferrari will get on the podium. Um, at some point, obviously, there's no podium after the sprint. They just go around in a truck um, and do a lap of the track. And they do interviews, don't they? Um, so, yeah, I've gone for a Ferrari podium, um, which I guess will have to be on Sunday's race because there isn't really a podium for the, for the sprint. What about you, uh, Joshua? Um, yeah, I've my wild card again feeds into this. I think that Hamilton and Verstappen will will crash again. Um, I think, I think they'll, they'll, there'll be something there. Um which means my race results will be Hamilton, Norris, Leclerc. I think Verstappen comes off second best again, just because oh, it feels yeah. Red Bull will have a lot of bad luck when it comes to season-defining moments. And I think if Verstappen wins this weekend and wins the sprint race, that gives him such a advantage and such a lead, and he builds and maintains that lead, I think he goes on and is almost... Not guaranteed, but he pushes Hamilton further. And I think there could be something, another turning point where Verstappen just has that, Verstappen and Red Bull have that hint of bad luck again. And ultimately, this weekend, if it happens, that could cost them the championship. Wow. So Joshua's going for a championship defining race, if you like, um, with, with his prediction there. So that's certainly going to be interesting. Obviously, plenty of time left, lots of twists and turns, and I'm sure we're going to see them throughout the rest of the season. Uh, Callum, let's come to you then finally for your um, Sunday race prediction and your, your little wild card as well for us, please. Well, gentlemen, I'd like to cast your minds back to a year ago when the <laughs> mighty Pierre Gasly uh, what a day that was unlikely uh, win at Monza. Uh, sadly, there were very limited or no fans at all there. 
uh, to celebrate his win. This is where I think it's time for some redemption. Pierre Gasly is going to win the Italian Grand Prix this weekend <laughs> in front of uh, a huge crowd. Uh, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen will round out the podium. Uh, and my wild card is Mick Schumacher will score his first points uh, in F1. Well, if F1 weekends were, as Callum predicts them, every single um, every single week, I'm sure that there would be millions more F1 fans in the world because that would just be super. What is it that's giving you the, the Gasly urge? What, why, why is Gasly going to win? On What's going to win it for Gasly on Sunday? I think it's going to be a bit of a mad race. You know, it always is at Monza in, in some capacity. And uh, as Josh said, if there's a big crash between the front runners, like there was in Hungary, uh, then I think we could see a lot of uh, drivers go up the grid. Gasly's got good form. He's, you know, consistently getting into the top 10. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I think he could definitely get... I think he get realistically, I honestly think he could get a podium, and I think he could win. Mm. You know, if, if all goes well. Yeah, I think you're right. He's um, he's he's consistently P six, P four, P five, isn't he? So if something does go wrong at the front, he's always you know they're ready to pounce if you like more so than last year where he came back from you know a little further back before the red flag to kind of uh, to, to be in a position he was in to win the race. So yeah, a Gasly win wouldn't you know you wouldn't put it past him and. Uh, Imagine that when he Monza two years in a row. There's probably not many drivers that have done that. So it'd be very interesting to see. I'm sure the crowd would be all for it as well. Mm. Um, even if Gasly won the sprint, uh, that that would be that would be pretty pretty incredible too. So yeah, thank you very much. Good to see the two of you again, and good to see uh, Callum Owen as well. Although very briefly, uh, sounds like he's having power cut problems down in London. So uh, hopefully he sorts those out for next week, um, where we are going to talk about racing next week. We 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 obviously talked about all the the driver stuff. Um, we're going to review the triple header, I believe, next week. So we've obviously had um, well the lack of race at Spa. There's obviously lots of discussion around the rules that we can have there. Obviously, Sandvoort, which we've, we've just had last weekend. And then hopefully uh, a Pierre Gasly win in Monza or maybe even an Antonio Giovinazzi podium. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, uh, we will see you next week where hopefully all four of us will be back. But Joshua Callum, thank you very much for joining me. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, it's at f one Babel. There's obviously Babel.com where... You'll see uh, practice reports, race reports, analysis, you know, everything is going to be up there over the weekend. So go and check us out on those. Um, if you're on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to us. If you're on, you know, a podcast platform, follow us or, or whatever it is you can do on there. Uh, tell your mates, tell their mates, you know, all that kind of good stuff for us. And yeah, thanks very much for listening. We'll hopefully be back next week and we will see you all later. Bye bye.